0: Welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to
1: know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck?
0: The dead, the appearance of life. No, it is not the appearance of life. It is life. This is not magic. As you say, I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Get me back my head.
1: Get me back my head! Hey. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. We are back in Dreamland on The Play Ritual Blade. James Klein, J.A. Allison, back for some more nightmare, ghoulish stories. What's going on, J.A. Allison?
0: What's up, man? How you been?
1: Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Just so you know, having a couple 80s nightmares every once in a while. Uh, about to have me a good slice of pizza, but I realize there's some demon souls on it. You know, you know how it goes. Yeah, like it always is. Yeah. So, we actually have a very jam-packed episode. There's a lot to talk about, especially on the history segment, when it comes to the music side of what was happening on August 19th, 1988, the release date of the movie we'll be reviewing right now, which is Nightmare on M Street 4, The Dream Master. Don, do you have a lot of dream masters in your dreams?
0: I am the only dream master in my dream. I am the master of all
1: dreams. Master of all dreams. So this one was definitely a uh, little different style, I'd say, when it comes to the, the Freddy. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, um, some of the breakdown everything. But this, when I was watching, so at first I like didn't really like this movie at all, and we'll get into that. But then when I start watching some of the behind the scenes, so there's a documentary we haven't really, that we haven't talked about that much, is that um, Never Sleep Again documentary, which actually goes through each nightmare, and it has like the cast and the crew and the directors and the, the artists all talk about you know their experiences on the films, and when I was watching that to kind of get a little more insight of this film, uh, it, was, it was very curious that this definitely is like the MTV version of Nightmare on Elm Street. Because, you know, MTV was super hot during this period. Yes. All right. So let's get into this jam-packed history segment. And the biggest history I found on this segment is going to be about the music side of this. Because there was a lot going on on August 1998, or around, actually, August of uh, 1998. Yeah. So I looked that
0: up, there's mm -hmm. an amazing amount of incredible albums that came out that month.
1: Yes. It's like crazy. Now, I'm I'm probably not going to go through all of them, but you could say maybe if I missed one, you could probably say which one you found. But I'll go through my list and we'll talk a little bit about about them. So the first one I found was a very, um, I guess, traditional type of band that you would see around October time. Uh, Halloween. Are you a big fan of Halloween, John?
0: Oh, man, you know I am. is one of my favorite bands. You know how much I love power metal. Yes. And Keeper of the Seven Keys Part Two is one of the best albums ever made.
1: Yes. And and actually, this one right here, Keepers of the Seven Keys Part Two, came out on August ninth, 1988. Did yep. you, have you listened? So, I've heard a couple of Halloween songs and stuff. They're not exactly. Would you think they'd be like my type of band because I'm a huge fan of Halloween and everything? I know a lot of their lyrics are kind of like that a little bit, but I haven't listened to them too much. Like, how is this album compared to some of the other ones that they have?
0: Well, I would say, and I'm sure there'll be somebody out there that'll that'll disagree with me. For there's always is, but the Keeper of the Seven Keys albums, Part One and Two, are I I think are the best the best Halloween albums that's the best that they ever were. Oh yeah. Um one and two are both incredible. Honestly, I, I think I like one a little bit better. Um, but I mean two has like I mean two has huge hits well hits, you know, hits for a metal band. It has Dr. Stein, it has I Want Out, um, it's got March of Time. Um, I mean that I mean those two albums together are just absolutely incredible. I mean, they're absolutely incredible just incredible if you listen to halloween keeper the seven keys parts one and two or one or two or whatever and you don't like that then you just don't like power metal i mean that's just that's just the bottom line that's just the way it is
1: yeah yeah i could definitely see that so everybody check them out like i said i don't have too much experience when it comes to halloween but i do know they are and they're probably sure you know if if this was like around this tier period i mean you were rocking it out i'm definitely sure we both would at least checked out this album or picked it up during this particular time
0: yeah we're getting into a stage where i do specific have remember more specifics now so we're getting a little bit later so i do remember more specifics of, of this time period um so this is it's getting a little bit easier to uh to give you specific memories
1: yeah so the next one i found is a band who same thing i haven't listened to too much of them but if we were rocking out in 1988 john if we were looking to go to some concerts, if we're looking to go to some wrestling matches, we're looking to go to some um, horror movies, I'd definitely be rocking this band, Armored Saint. All right? <laughs> they actually released a live album on the release date of this movie, August 19th, 1988. Have you listened to a lot of Armored Saint?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, well, maybe not, not as much as I have other bands, but I'm yeah. a huge Armored Saint fan. John Bush is an incredible singer. Um, you know, he went on to be an Anthrax later on for a while. Yep. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I love Armored Saint. They're just as good now as they were, like, in the 80s.
1: Are they still rocking it now?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're still... Yeah, after he got out of Anthrax, he started Armored Saint again, and they're doing... They're touring the world and making albums.
1: Wow. So, like I said, I wasn't too familiar with this band either. So, I was checking them out last night, and... I was checking out a couple of their songs. Um so I, so when I was watching one of their music videos, it was like you could definitely tell like this is like a hair like band. Like they weren't like really like a glam rock kind of band. They're just kind of like a metal band with their frizzy hair and everything. Like this is well very, but,
0: kind, yeah, kind of, but the thing is Armour Saint is not a glam band. They're not a hair band they they were definitely just a straightforward metal band but you, the thing you got to consider is that like during this time like ha- hair metal was so big like it was yeah. about to fall a couple of years later but it was so big that if you didn't look like those bands then you couldn't you couldn't make it you couldn't do anything yeah so they were kind of just forced to do that i mean you know i mean i don't i don't this is something that probably a lot of people don't know, but John Bush actually was going to be the original Metallica lead singer before when they were looking for a singer.
1: Wow.
0: He was going to be their lead singer. He was an Arbor Saint at the time. Um, and I've actually heard some videos of him singing like Four Horsemen and some of the early Metallica songs. And um, that would have been really interesting, I think, if they hadn't gone the way they did.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that would have been really interesting. Because the guy, when I was listening to him, he's a pretty good singer. Like, they had some really pretty good like style tunes to them. So, and then, um, like I said, their music video I was watching, it was like all green screen. They were like on this like <laughs> desert island, and there's like the sword that comes down. And then when the sword comes down, they all get power and they all start like just rocking in front of a bunch of fans. So I was like, okay, okay, I could see, I could see, you know, a 1988 version of James Klein, you know, with my fucking mullet and my rocking down some armored saint, you know what I mean? Driving. Driving Yeah, down. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So, so definitely, uh, this band would have been one of the top. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, you got the live album, all right, released on Nightmare on Street Four. I mean, you got a jam uh you know, movie and a jam pack live album to listen to at the time as well. So, another crazy fact. So, <laughs> on this day, August 19, 1988, we would have. I know. I would have got if we had like messages back in the day. Maybe I guess you would have. Uh, did we have pagers back in 1988 or no? Like no, that's probably like a 90s thing.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think regular people had so,
1: pagers then. Uh, J. A. Allison would have called me on the landline phone <laughs> and be <been> like, <laughs> and be like, "Hey, are we near Toledo, uh, Toledo Ohio?" And I'd have been like, "John, we're." No, we're not really around Toledo, Ohio. Why do we need to go by Toledo, Ohio? He's like, at this day, on the Toledo sports Arena, we have two mega bands rocking it out. We have Judas Priest and Cinderella. Oh, yeah. Wow. What a, um, what a show.
0: Yeah, so on the same bill...
1: Yes, on like the same bill. they're playing deal. together. Yeah, they're that's, playing together. Yes,
0: that's just weird.
1: <laughs> that is weird,
0: and I mean, it is it is Toledo, but yeah. still, I mean, that is just that's just weird.
1: Very weird tour when I saw this, because I, I was just thinking, okay, like it's it, it's kind of like okay, it's like weird mesh up bands, like it's hap you know it happens all the time. It's kind of like nowadays where we'll have like a straight death metal band playing with like a hardcore band, you know, same type of genre but obviously very different styles with them and this this tour right here is like perfect example you know judas priest you know very heavy metal very biker very like leather you know and of course cinderella is like super glam rock (laughs) i mean look at the fucking name
0: yeah i mean I, i honestly cinderella is one of those bands that i think were like really underrated like i think they're if you took if you just took cinderella and you took the whole glam thing out of it and you didn't see what their image looked like then they would be as good as any hard rock band that's ever been. I mean, I think that I'm a, I'm kind of a fan of their, you know, first two or three albums. I think they're really, really good. I just think that, you know, just like I was talking about with Armored Saint, I think that they just kind of got caught up in this whole like hair metal thing and it just kind just, of you know, ruined them, like ruined yeah. them for the future, I guess. But yeah, that's really weird. Cause I would think that, you know, I could see them on tour with like Bon Jovi or something. Yeah. Like they're a Bon Jovi type band where Judas Priest is like, you know the straight metal band like yeah. I, I don't know i wonder if that tour happened because well i mean cinderella must have been like really early in their career at that point
1: i'm guessing so i'm wondering i'm wondering
0: if maybe they uh were trying to get something that was more current you know what i mean like cinderella would have been a current i mean yeah type of band an mtv band if yes. you will
1: Yes. I mean, I I could definitely see that because, you know, even like nowadays, so like say like, you know, Megadeth goes on tour. Like who, who are they looking to bring with them? They'd probably be like, you know, Trivium or it'd probably be like All The Remains, you know, that kind of style of metal would like travel with them. Yeah. yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So Some, like Something more current. Yeah, because yeah. I would
0: imagine like Judas Priest would have been considered a pretty old band at that point. You know, they've been I, yeah. around a long time, even yeah. at that point. Um, but looking up Cinderella, so Long Cold Winter, which is like their probably their high mark of music, I guess, that had just came out July the 5th. So it came out, you know, a month before and they were going to get huge. Like that was going to be their big that was the big thing that got them headlining and they became a huge band after this. So they must have just been like, you know, their album just came out and they're still opening for people and yeah. they got this Judas Priest tour, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I mean, they probably just got, like, a like a lucky break. You know, sometimes a lot of, like, big metal bands will bring, like, unknown bands on their tour. You know, if they like them or, you know, just to, to give a different type of feel to the show. So I'm pretty sure that's what happened there. But that, you know, like I said, like, that tour, like, that definitely would have been something. <laughs> um, so... I have like a a main event on the history segment coming up pretty soon, but before then we're gonna stray off a little bit of the metal scene just because I thought this was very interesting um we're gonna go into some um rap here for a second, okay this um, is different for us, yes, it's gonna be a little different but i i I can't not bring it up since we've been talking about you know songs that came around this movie or you know uh, appeared around this movie uh we actually had the release. Uh, one of the famous Will Smith tracks, of all things, with Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Um, it was, of all things, their their, their single um, off their He's the DJ on the Rapper album called Nightmare on My Street. Which is obviously their, their, um, their single that's not related to the Freddie movies, but it's definitely about the Freddie movies. Have you ever wow, seen this? Or okay. no? I,
0: I don't think so. It's, I don't think I've seen this. Yes.
1: <laughs> it's actually pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like the biggest Will Smith, like, rap, you know. Uh, his, his songs are pretty good. You know what I mean? They're not, like, they're not like bad. They're not, like, good. It's not something I would, like, sit down and listen to a lot, especially during this time. Like, you know, obviously, if we were rocking up in the 80s and stuff, I'd be more into, like, the metal, the hair bands. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, the R&B or the rap will kick in. You know what I mean? And this song is actually pretty entertaining. The music video to this song is actually very entertaining as well, too. <laughs> so I'll probably post it on our Facebook and everything just so everybody can give it a try. But I thought it was pretty pretty, pretty uh, clever. I kind of like when, you know, musicians or, like, rappers, you know, they uh, they rap or, they, you know, they do songs about actual, like, movies and stuff. I think it's pretty, you know, pretty clever. So it's kind of like a, like a semi-prelude to some, like, soundtracks and stuff. So I thought it was pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Hey, I have never seen that. I was looking this yeah. up right now. Apparently, uh, it, that was an unauthorized use
1: mm-hmm.
0: of uh, not Marilyn Street stuff. So they got sued. Yep. And they were forced to destroy the video, but there are copies that survived, which is well, we can see this amazing piece of history today.
1: Yes. So they're just like, "Fuck it, we're going to do this song, and this is what we're going to do." And it, like I said, it wasn't like an official thing, but I'm pretty sure over time they'll probably like, you know, add it into some official stuff. Or not, but I thought it was, I Yay. thought the video was pretty entertaining. So it is definitely an MTV uh, style video for that time, but I thought it was pretty mm. entertaining. All right. Wow. So the main event of the well, we st- oh, go ahead.
0: Well, we still have metal stuff to talk
1: about. We still got metal stuff. So yeah, one we still
0: of, have. Go ahead.
1: So one of the main events stuff I found might have been this thing you found, but during this period, uh, in the UK we had a very very famous song debut it's going to be harbinger of sorrow by metallica came out august 19th 1988 in the uk it didn't it didn't come out until in the us until august 28th 1988 but obviously this is off the metallica's fourth studio album in justice for all
0: which would have come out probably two or three weeks later, I guess.
1: Yes, and boy, what a song this is, man! Talk about rocking! And this is actually one of the this had to be like the height of Metallica right here because, you know, we've already had like Kill 'Em All and uh, Master Master of Puppets during this time, um, and Justice and In, Justice for All is definitely one of my favorite Metallica uh, albums.
0: Um, yeah. So I do specifically remember this. I do specifically remember going to school every day, and waiting for this to come out. Oh, the single? No, waiting for the Injustice for All to come
1: out. Okay, did you Did you get a copy of this single when it came out?
0: No, like singles, I didn't buy singles then. Like, okay. you could buy, like, tape singles, I guess, or yeah. like, maybe you could buy a vinyl single, but um, but no, I was just waiting for this album to come out, which would have, you know, which is going to be like in the next month, in September, was when Injustice for All, if, is finally going to release their new album, Injustice for All, and I was super stoked about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, like I said, you know, Metallica is obviously, I mean, this is like when they are like super hot, like they would just become like hotter and hotter throughout time. But this is when they're like really getting pretty hot um, nowadays. So two things about this song, Uh, well, a couple, maybe three things. So the first thing is, so during this time as well, in the summer of 1988, look at this lineup. This is the Monsters of Rock tour. Okay?
0: I, I have a story about this too.
1: But, okay. conti- but continue on. We have fucking Van Halen. The fucking Scorpions. Duncan. Metallica. And Kingdom Come. I mean, holy shit. Can you get more of a fucking rockin' thrash, like fucking hair, like concert than this? Like fucking... Freaking hair, titties, beer everywhere in this fucking yeah, tour. I yeah, mean, like that this had been, to be crazy fucking tour.
0: Yeah, that would have been incredible.
1: And I think I'm pretty sure, like this is like the tour because. So I, this is, relates to the podcast we did um, last week when we talked about the Dream Warriors um, with the Duncan, or sorry, Dukan. I always fuck up their name.
0: D- Dukan.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yes, Dockin. Dockin. I don't know. How to always fuck up their name. <laughs> the Dockin. The Dokken And That motherfucker Dockin. All right. I don't know why I was want to call him Duken. Hi, Dukin, Man, that's probably what I'm thinking of. It's
0: Duken playing in Toledo.
1: <laughs> Toledo, yes.
0: But hey, everybody's gonna think you're from Europe or
1: something. I probably am from Europe, fucking. <laughs> I'm like our boy who directed this uh, fucking Nightmare on Four. I'm like a fucking from Finland. Right. <laughs> so this guy he was talking about like i'm pretty sure this is the tour where he was he was talking that he did not want to go on like before metallica like he he wanted to go on like like no no he went he didn't want to go on after metallica he wanted I was to go on to say like metallica, metallica kingdom come opened that that show and then
0: um metallica played next but yeah can you imagine like trying to go on after metallica yeah. in 1988 there's no way.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Like even he knew that during the time. So because like I said, they were like white hot during this time. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of like history behind this monster of rock tour because I mean, I mean, what a lineup. So that had to be selling out arenas and everything. Uh, it was
0: in football stadiums. Nice. So, so yeah, so it would be like because um, I can remember they played um up in. um I think it was RFK Stadium in in Washington, D.C., and I wanted to go to that so bad, but my mom wouldn't let me go.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was so into metal. Like, I was, like, just, I mean, I pretty much had my Sony Walkman and my metal cassettes with me everywhere I went. And I just pretty much just listened to metal in my head, in my headphones all the time.
1: Yeah. You're rocking on the, uh, are you, you're having, like, the old uh, big headphones with the big uh, jack going on there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we rocking tapes during this time, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, a I was still tapes.
0: rocking tapes. I th- I might have had a CD player. I think my aunt got me a CD player sometime around this time, but I was still buying tapes because
1: tapes were that man.
0: Well, I needed everything to be portable. You know what I mean? Like I needed yeah. like you couldn't you couldn't really carry CDs with you at that point. So like I was putting like tapes in my Walkman, and I was I was pretty much just listening to music twenty four hours a day.
1: So, also, too, on this um, track, this, uh, this LP track that they released, um, it actually contained uh, two B-sides to them as well. And there were cover songs that Metallica did. We had Breadfan, and We had The Prince. Uh, the Prince was originally by Diamond Head. Yep. And Bread Fam was originally by, how do you say, it? Boogie? Budgie. Budgie. I never heard of Budgie. What are they all about?
0: Uh, they're a new wave of British heavy metal band, like you know the kind of the bands that influenced Metallica. Okay, um, like Iron Maiden is a new wave of British heavy metal band. Um, at least, at least Budgie is. I'm pretty sure how it's pronounced. Um, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure of that, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Budgie. But yeah, Budgie. I mean, they're not like a band that I was. I wasn't buying Budgie records in 1988 for sure. But I mean, they're you know they're kind of one of those bands that's you know they're kind of cool. They were they were definitely unusual compared to what else was what else was happening in metal at the time. Um, that's a really good song though. The first time I probably heard it was um, as a Metallica B side because I do remember this single coming out and I remember the Prince and and the Bread fan being on the back of it. Yeah, on I, the side back B side.
1: I think they also released it on their uh, nineteen nineteen ninety eight Garage Inc. Comp, uh, compilation. Yeah. So that's yep. probably where we got a bunch of these tracks from as well too um so also so another thing before we go into some of the history that you might have is like i said before metallica so i kind of grew up when metallica has already been around for a while and they were kind of like the i guess the standard bearer kind of like if you wanted to get into metal you didn't really know about metal like one of the first metal bands you would listen to is metallica that's where a lot of like I guess casual. Like let's say, you know how you have like casual football fans, you have casual, you know, sports fans like that. I was I was in my mind I always thought like Metallica was the casual metal person's fan. Oh, hey, I like metal. What metal band do you like? I like Metallica. Okay, so you're not like really a metal fan, you just like Metallica. But Right. Exactly. But, you know, during this time that this is when they were hot. So like if you're a Metallica fan like, you know, you like metal. You know what I mean? Like you were like into it. So, when I was, you know, cuz like I said I've you know, I want to get myself in. When we, do this, when we do these shows, I want to get myself into, like, the 80s mode. And, like, what would, what would the 1988 Greg, you know, what would he be all excited about when it comes to this metal? And so when I was, like, checking out this song, it was pretty rocking. And the first video I watched, now this is going a little bit outside of the uh, 80s. It was actually a, a, um, a live performance that they did in uh, Moscow, Russia in 1991 and you fucking you got to see this live performance i mean it's fucking something else it's kind of weird have you seen this video or no
0: yeah i watched that live on mtv when it came when it happened okay that but, was like from that it's like a huge festival right it's, yeah isn't pantera pantera is also on that and
1: yeah but like it was fans. so weird watching it nowadays because okay they're rocking out on stage everything right they're just going going crazy and like the crowd is going crazy too. But then you got like these fucking soldiers and like these like Nazi green looking outfits just like fucking hitting people with like stick like one of those like uh boss man's nightsticks and shit. Right. I was like, holy fuck man, these people are, like it looked like these they they looked like this this crowd was trying to like riot or something and these fucking cops were like beating their asses and stuff and pushing them all back. Like at the beginning of the song and then during the middle the middle of the song, all the cops just started taking pictures. <laughs> of Metallica on stage. It was definitely, like, a a pretty wild, like, live performance video, but definitely something to check out. I'll probably be posting it upon the uh, Facebook as well. Yeah, that
0: was in 91, right? Yeah, yeah, it was was 1991, yeah.
1: So, because, like, you know, like I said, I was trying to research so I can have a good feel of this song that came out, and I just, I wanted to see, like, with the video, and this is the first one I clicked on, and I was just like, well, I was kind of shocked, like, like what was going on during this video like these fucking police people just beating up this crowd and stuff and mitaka just playing like yeah we're just rocking it out no problem so it was definitely- yeah because that was
0: that was like the i mean i don't like during that time that was like when like you know the soviet Union was falling and um you know like they were this was like i don't want to say it's propaganda but it was like you know like see like like american people are free and Russian people are not free because they can't go to concerts and not be beat up and that kind of thing. And that, now, that, I mean, that, that, you know, that's kind of true. You know I mean? Like they didn't, you know, you couldn't really like in the eighties, I, I remember hearing stories about how later on that came out later on about how you couldn't really buy music. Like you couldn't buy Western music in Russia mm-hmm. at all. And like when they, in 88 or maybe it was before I can't remember what year it was. Uh, when they did the Moscow Music and Peace Festival the one that Bon Jovi did and the Scorpions went on that yeah. the Scorpions were one of the only bands that Russians had ever heard oh, right. um, like when the when those bands got there cuz the, cuz the Scorpions had been able to from Europe and had been able to tour inside Russia but they were the only, one of the only bands that had ever done that and they basically just gave their records away for free um to people like they just gave them away cuz i mean people couldn't really afford to buy anything at that point so they were just giving, they were just giving like Scorpions records and Bon Jovi records away to people.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting how like different countries will like bring in like westernized U.S. you know, activities to their country to show that they're parts of the world and stuff. We kind of see that a little bit with the uh, WWE in uh, Saudi Arabia. So it's definitely pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, so that's another thing that's kind of changing things. Um, so, I mean, we could probably do an entire podcast on that probably. But, yeah, like how – I mean, people can complain all they want about WWE going to Saudi Arabia and, you know, their human rights issues and things like that, which I also have a problem with. But they have changed things since they've been there. Yes. I mean, you know, like the like when they were going to go there, like women couldn't even go to that show. Yeah. Like they weren't even going to allow women into the stadium to watch it, and then the, and and you know the WWE said no, that we're not going to come there if you do that. So they allowed women in, and then they couldn't have. And this year, I think maybe they had one last year, but they had women performers for the first time.
1: Uh, I think it was last year they did. They I did think that. last
0: year they had a woman women's match for the first time because yeah, I mean I think you got to consider um, that women aren't even allowed to play sports in Saudi Arabia. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it was. But like, anyway, yeah. So I think it was Lacey Evans and soccer. Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we move on to the wrestling segment, John, do you have any history that you want to bring up that we did not cover?
0: Um, just a couple of other releases that were pretty big. Um so uh Danzig's first album came out that month.
1: Ooh. Now, solo dancing or Misfits?
0: No, Solo dancing. Oh, oh, nice. So the one with Mother on it came out that month. Ooh. And We tell death-
1: everybody this is a jam packed month. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh Leprosy by Death came out that month, so oh. that would have been like you know, a pretty early death metal record.
1: So what you're telling me, John, is we would have been very poor during this time buying up all this metal.
0: Yeah, by the time uh Not Elm Street <laughs> came out we wouldn't have had enough money to go see it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Especially when we went to that freaking Judas Priest and Cinderella tour. You know, that shit was probably expensive.
0: I mean, by by those standards I guess it was. Um, you know, it was probably fifteen dollars or something.
1: But boy, I mean we definitely would have had some good uh tracks during this time. Anything yeah, else you found? I mean,
0: uh, no, that was pretty much it. I mean, we we covered about everything else—the death album and the Danzig album. Yeah, um, that was that was pretty much the big stuff.
1: Nice, yeah, definitely a rockin' month. I was so surprised when I was doing our history segment about this of how rockin' it was. But on the other front, uh, wrestling side, kind of slow for this particular month. Now, the, the biggest thing about this month um, that I found was the um, SummerSlam of yep. nineteen eighty-eight.
0: SummerSlam number one.
1: Summer Slam number 1. So this had <laughs> the Mega Powers versus yes. the Mega Bucks tag yeah. team match. And I was this is like the with the famous, you know, handshake brother, you know what I mean, where they fucking claw it up and stuff. I mean, this is definitely uh the height of uh 80s WWF wrestling during this time. Um, and this card actually is a pretty not a pretty good card. Um, once we start talking about it, this has definitely been something to see um, during this time. Did, so obviously they're in the Madison Square Garden during this time uh, for this show. And th- every time WWE or WWF comes to the Madison Square Garden, they definitely put on a big show because that's, you know, that's the house pretty much. That
0: That's the house, exactly.
1: You know, that's the house that WWF is the most famous for is Madison Square Garden. So. But let's uh, rock, um, run through this card really quick. So we have the uh, British Bulldogs, Davey Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid versus the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers um, in a tag team match. And this match went 20 minutes and it ended in a time limit draw. So very, you wouldn't see that nowadays, like especially on a pay-per-view, having like a time limit draw. So this is still when they were kind of like doing that, using that gimmick. They that. don't
0: even have time limits now. I, AEW does.
1: Yeah, AEW like, does. Yeah. I, don't
0: think WWE, I don't think WWE even uses time limits no,
1: now. No, no. But very I mean, they'll probably like use it if it like benefits them on something, but they very very do that now. So, we also had bad news Brown. He defeated Ken Patera And this is only a match that went like 6 6 minutes and 33 minutes. You know, bad news brand. He has a, his his most famous thing is probably that fight he did with uh, Roddy Piper. Um, but one of my favorites. Yeah, of, I'd I'll say talk. so. So, one of my favorites of all time, like this, this guy, I knew for a fact, like if I wasn't looking like Magnum um, TA, I'd be looking like this man, my boy Rick Rude. Rick Rude. Rick Rude. I mean, this guy was fucking awesome. Like promos, uh, match work quality. Like, his, like, listen up, all you fat. I mean, this guy was like, fucking fantastic. And he was with his manager, Bobby Heenan, and he was, and he defeated the junkyard dog by, oh, by disqualification, of course. And imagine. Yeah,
0: uh, I haven't Uh, actually seen this, strangely enough. Like, and I was like, I meant to watch it yesterday, and I didn't get around to it, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, um, junk dog versus rick rude junk hair dog probably hit him with a dog chain or something and he got disqualified yeah but the uh, right. the interesting thing about rick rude is like so rick rude sounds like a work name but it's actually a shoot name yes even he just he dismissed he dispelled it different his last name is r o o d rude
1: yes yeah which is fantastic and this is this is the period where he had that freaking fuzzy metal hair going on as well too and then his um his finisher was always one of my favorites. The Rude Awakening. Um, up next is actually one of my favorite tag teams. Um, the Powers of Pain. The Barbarian. And the fucking Warlord. I mean, you talk yep. about two jacked up beefy dudes. Mm-hmm. Alright. Uh, they're with the Baron. Their manager. Yeah, and, Baron Von Rasky. Yes. And they defeated Nikolai Nikolai Volkov. And Boris, and um, a ta- just a regular tag team match, five minutes and twenty-seven seconds. So, um, good old showcase with the powers of pain. Like I said, one of my favorite. Now, now this is like one of my top favorite tag teams. But I think if when we talk about the Barbarian, my favorite partner you ever had was Ming. Uh, when they did the the Faces of Fear. Faces of Fear. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Now that was a fucking badass team. But I think the Barbarian is actually a very underrated wrestler. Like he, I mean, like he didn't do all the fancy moves, but this dude was always jacked. He always looked like he laid the shit in. He always looked like impressive of everything he did. Um, so I was always a big fan of the Barbarian. And this yeah, he's wrestled name. forever. Yes.
0: Yeah, he lives in Charlotte now, I think. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he does. Because he was a Crockett guy originally. Yes. Before he went to WWE, he had worked for Crockett for a while, I believe.
1: So now we are getting into the '80s, super '80s portion of the wrestling uh, uh, portion of our show. The Ultimate Warrior defeated the Honky Tonk Man and for the WWF Intercontinental Championship in only thirty-one minutes. Now I remember this match. Thirty-one seconds. Yeah, thirty-one seconds. Sorry.
0: Yeah, that 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 I can't imagine how embarrassing that would have been. I mean, you know the ultimate warrior had to have been like a huge star at this point.
1: Yes. Well, he,
0: during this he, time, he a, go ahead. That's what i was saying. That match goes 31 seconds.
1: Well, during this time, this is when they're really like pumping up the warrior. Like he was getting hot during this time. And this is also too, when the hunky talk man, I think he had like his like year long reign with the intercontinental title. And I guess they just decided, like, hey, we're just going to fucking go out there. He's just going to run the ropes, jump on the motherfucker, and take the title. Let's get it get it done with. They kind of, like, they, they did a lot with the, the Ultimate Warrior. Because, obviously, the Ultimate Warrior wasn't, like, you know, no Bret Hart or nothing. Um, he was more about no, the... That's for sure. He <laughs> yes. was
0: no Bret Hart.
1: <laughs> he was all about the hair, the tassels, the, the face paint, the metal, you know.
0: Yeah, he just... It, typical WWE style, he just looked like a wrestler.
1: Exactly. Uh, you know, because this is—I mean, you'll—you'll you'll be seeing throughout this whole show, like this is definitely—we should just call this like the MTV like episode of the fucking retro blood, because everything that we're seeing is like influenced by MTV during this time. They're just so hot during this time, like the wrestling, the music, the movie, like you know, this is just like like that period, you know what I mean, like that like, like that free rock uh, period during this time. Uh, so moving on, we have Dino Bravo, he defeated Don Morocco. I'm pretty sure that was a pretty solid match. They went uh, about five minutes. For five minutes. minutes. For five minutes. Yeah, I
0: mean, like, God, the middle of this card, other than that. So after watching that 20 minute time limit draw in the first match that jerked the curtain, Yes. then you set through a bunch of five, six minute matches.
1: <laughs> well, we got to get him on the card, brother.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't know. This, this could have been a lot better. This should have been a lot better.
1: Yes. Well, you know, so, you know, during this time, they probably still had like, time limits of how much they can, um, you know, do their show for. You know, n- nowadays, this shit would probably have been, like, five hours.
0: Yeah, this would have been a five-hour pay-per-view at this yeah, point. Added on to yeah, I range. mean, you know, you know pay-per-view is expensive, brother. That's why we are going to cut the time down.
1: That's true. Uh, another great team of mine are up next. Demolition. Axe and Smash version. are with them. And they had their manager, Mr. Fuji, and Jimmy Hart. And they defeated another great tag team of the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. This match was definitely probably, I would have to say just by looking at this card, because we didn't have enough time to watch it back, but I know if I've seen this before, this is definitely probably the match of the night. It's going to be Demolition versus the Hart Foundation. Because, you know, yeah. anytime you bring out Bret Hart, you bring out... Even Axis match, I mean, those guys were, like, they were great. Like, they probably got a lot of, like, I don't. I'm not too sure if a lot of fans were like, "Oh, they're just from LOD ripoffs and stuff." I'm probably sure there were some fans that were thinking that, but they were actually like a really good team, and they were like really pushed, and they were like a really, really great team during this time.
0: Yes, yeah, Smash was Krusher, Crusher Khrushchev, I think. Yes. Originally, when he worked for Crockett, um, that's that's pretty much what I know about them. But it's just weird to think that they would they would put put them over Bret Hart. But it is 1988. Bret's not what he became.
1: Yeah, I think it's in um, a couple years, or maybe like even later than this, that Bret Hart started coming out to a singles run where yeah. he was starting to, to break out on his own during this time. Another match, I call this one the in-the-middle match that we have. We have Big Boss Man, big the Big Boss Man with Slick, and he defeated Coco Beware in a random singles match that went five minutes and 57 seconds. Yep. Uh, Yep. Sure. That was a barn burner. Oh (laughs) yeah. We gotta, (laughs) we gotta, we know how it is. We gotta get the audience up. Then we gotta get them right back down. Uh, I
0: mean, I've, I've actually become in the last few years, kind of a huge fan of, uh, Ray trailer, the guy that was a big boss, man. I've, I've become a huge fan of his work. I think he's a very underrated wrestler. Yes. Um, but, and I wish I'd appreciated it more like during his lifetime, but you know, um, I wouldn't, this would have been my bathroom break for sure.
1: Yeah. I probably would have said so. Um, so same over here too. Now I remember the big boss man when he, when he came into the WWF during 1998 and he, he was with McMahon and the whole corporation. Uh, when he was basically mm-hmm. like the SWAT, uh, gear boss man, of course. Um, when he, uh, Drove off with the Big Show's dad. <laughs> <And> then, yeah, <laughs> we just pulling the ca- the coffin the behind coffin. him. Yes, yeah, so and then he's, he he fe- <laughs> he fed Al Snow uh, a dog to him Pepper, and that was also a great yeah. moment of the Big Boss Man. So Boss Man, he's done a lot of shit. I mean, <laughs> so we had like you know Ray, we had the uh, uh, big Bubba Rogers and stuff. So definitely a, a great wrestler. Um Now this match is very interesting. So. And it actually went one of the longest matches besides the opening match and the main event. And then the the tag team title match was Jake Roberts. He defeated the man, the myth, the legend, Hercules. He did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> in a 10 minute and 06, uh, 10 minute and 6 second match. So, so I
0: wonder who the face was in this.
1: I'm happy to guess Jake Roberts during this time. That's what I'm thinking too. Like I said, yeah, it has to be because Hercules was mostly a heel during this whole time. Um, And then, of course, we get the ultra main event, uh, the mega powers. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth defeated the mega bucks. Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase with Bobby Heenan. Um, and, And also, too, we had a special guest referee of Jesse Ventura during this time. So a lot of unpack over here. I mean obviously Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were like probably like the two biggest baby faces in wrestling during this time. Um this is like when Andre the Giant was, you know, very, very popular figure, but obviously winding down his career a little yeah, bit. He was
0: definitely winding down his career. It probably I mean this match went fourteen minutes, it probably took Andre ten minutes to walk to the ring.
1: <laughs> yes probably. And they probably, and obviously, Ted Dio obviously did most of the work during the whole match as well, too. And I do remember this. They won from uh, distraction by Miss Elizabeth pulling up her skirt. Mm-hmm. All right. And, <laughs> that's I all, do know about that, yeah. Yes. And so it's always weird with the Hulk Hogan matches when you watch him back. Like, he did, like, every, like, heel tactic, but yet he was just the biggest baby face during everything. And of course, um, you know, for this whole card, my main man would have been Randy Savage. He's probably would have been him and Rick Rude would probably been my favorites throughout this whole period of uh, WWF wrestling. So. Yeah, he
0: was the best wrestler in this match for sure.
1: Yeah. So pretty, pretty hot card. Like, I mean, during this era, like I would definitely would have liked to get a ticket to this show. And I definitely would have. Were they still showing it in like uh, theaters during this time? Or this uh, when uh-huh. pay-per-view was around?
0: pay-per-view was around i don't know if they were showing it in theaters at this point at all at that time i didn't even know that existed like i didn't know you could go to a theater and see WWF stuff
1: yeah so i mean definitely would have been like i said we would have been definitely poor from during this month of august 1988 What's going on everybody? This is James Klein from the Retro Blood Podcast. I'm just taking this quick timeout to let everybody know about the brand new Retro Blood Facebook group page. We have exclusive videos on the Facebook page. Videos pertaining to each episode of the podcast that we do, and some special videos from James Klein himself from his YouTube channel, Makeshift Kings. So come join us on the Facebook page and check out the Retro Blood on Podbeam, Stitcher, Apple, and all your listening devices. Now, let's get back to the show. Let's get into the main meat. Let's get into the nightmares. Let's get into Nightmare on Elm Street 4. The Dream Master. The fucking Dream Master.
0: Oh, and what a what a film this was.
1: Yes. So so just some overviews before we break some stuff down. This movie was a little hard to watch. So (laughs) (laughs) So you know how there's like films like you know, big big film franchises. We have you know Halloween aliens we got uh friday the 13th you know there's always that one like there's always that one part of the film that you watch and you're like oh fuck am i going to be watching the rest of these because this is kind of lame you know what i mean but then you always go back to them. i felt like this yeah. is the one for nightmare on elm street i feel like this one right here was kind of like i know i would have watched it during this time and i would have been like well, fuck, man! I used to love this series. Like, what the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I my love for it would have went down a little bit. I guess you would have said,
0: yeah. Which is really strange when we when we go when we get into like the people who worked on this movie. It's really weird that this movie was so bad.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it just it just very interesting. So, we start off the movie. We're kind of meeting some of the the cast over here. So. We have three um, characters that returned from the the Dream Warriors, which yes, by far is probably besides the original one. By far in our reviews that we're doing so far is by far my favorite besides the original one. Uh, actually, number two is actually not that bad either. Like like I said, after the first one, watching number two and on to number three. I'd be hyped for this movie because so far this series hasn't like disappointed. No, me, number me two as is
0: all. actually. I mean, you know, if I remember. If, yeah. You know, if everybody remembers, number two was re- a lot better than we thought it was going to
1: be. Exactly. Now, it doesn't have to do with anything of this story going on right now. No, but absolutely not. It, but it was still good on its own. So, so now we get uh, some hand drawing uh, for some chalk, and. We see a girl, girl all dressed up in white, and she meets a little girl on the street. So, obviously, we're in a dream sequence right now. And we see this blonde hair girl, and at first, I'm like, who the fuck is this? You know, just some, like, random blonde-haired girl. I was like, okay, we, we got... Like, at first, I thought, okay, we're starting a whole new chapter. We have all new characters. We got all new everything. No, this fucking girl nope. is Christian from the first movie. And I was like, that girl... Like, at first, I was thinking, like, okay... Am I like imagining things? I don't remember her looking like that in number three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, oh yeah, because she was uh, played
0: by Patricia Arquette in the last movie. Exactly, and then Patricia Arquette was probably like, "There's no fucking way I'm coming back to yes. to make this."
1: So when I was watching that um that documentary, because I wanted to get a little bit more insight on this movie. Like I said, like our show is not really like breaking down a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. We might talk about it here and there, but I wanted to kind of like put it through like my you know '80s eyes or something. I would have been like, if I didn't watch a trailer, to didn't know anything about it. I was like, who the fuck is this? Is it's something the go from the other movie. So obviously they had a recast for Tricia Arquette for this new girl. which this new girl has a weird name, Tuesday Night. I was like, okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it's a Fucking name, man. Tuesday Night. So does that mean that you got like, you know, fucking, you know, like fucking made on a Tuesday night? Like parents are like, yeah, we're fucking, we made her on the Tuesday. I was like, okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. I got gotcha. you.
0: Like, that's, that's
1: unbelievable. So she's walking. So we get the, we, I don't know if we talked about this before, but Freddie has a famous Freddie song with a bunch of little girls, you know, singing Freddie's song during the whole thing. Yep. So we get them in every kind of movie. Um, and then, you know, with the soundtrack, I always like the soundtrack on Freddie movies. They they usually have really good, like, um, music going on, you know, with like makes it seem like kind of like a dream type of music in there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, these they usually have good soundtracks yeah and yeah they they even have like good soundtracks like like um you know from like different bands and everything and this music this this soundtrack was a little different than obviously like like the dream Warriors one the dream Warriors one more like you know those you know, we had like obviously we had um uh, them on there, but this one was more like an like r and b type of like Freddie movie going on with the soundtrack But then during this, the girl goes out to the whole house. She's walking around, and then she's starting to see like Freddy through like different, um, uh, different like windows and everything. She's kind of going through Freddy's house. She eventually gets into the the boiler room, and then she realized, Then this is when we see that she actually calls um, Joey, and of course Joey is one of the survivors from the last movie. She calls Joey into her dream, and she's like, and then she also calls uh, Kincaid into her dream as well. And during this whole time, she's saying like, hey, I think fucking Freddie Krueger's coming back. And they're just like, why the fuck did you bring me into this dream? I'm, t- I'm trying to sleep. Um, I guess Kincaid also brought his dog into the scene yes. as well. And they were going back and forth. So Christian believes that Freddie's coming back. Kincaid and Joe is like, no, he's not coming back. Why'd you disturb my dream? And then they go into the boiler uh, where I guess that's like the... I guess that's like the portal that that they that Freddy kind of comes to to get into people's dreams. Is that boiler room that he well, was in?
0: Well, I, I think of it as just like a... That just represents Freddy's environment. I got you. So anytime you're in a boiler room, then you automatically know that Freddy's around or, you're, or you should at this point.
1: Yes. So then after this, um, she she fills the, the, the boiler and it's cold and then she opens it and then out, t- out comes the dog and the dog bites christian on the arm so and then during this um we get then we cut to this is when we start meeting some of the new kids in this movie so we have christian she's listening like i said we have a lot of r&b uh music going on during this time uh christian meets up with uh the character that we're gonna find out that's that's her boyfriend this guy named rick so during rick yeah rick our boy, our, our boy Rick, who's somehow a karate guy. Okay, he, he I guess <laughs> <laughs> I guess he watched a lot of um, Karate Kid during this time, I'm guessing. Well,
0: martial arts were really popular during this time. Yes. Like in the middle of the 80s, you had all this like Shokasugi ninja movies that I loved, all that shit. And then you had American Ninja with Michael Dudikoff. And you had all this shit that was coming out that was just all martial arts stuff. So martial arts stuff. Had made a comeback at this point. So that's why we have the karate guy.
1: Yes. So we meet we meet we meet Rick and we meet Allison. So yep. and they also have a uh the dad there so there's there's one common theme coming on to all these uh Freddy movies as well, or Nightmare On Elm Street movies. <laughs> we have to have one dad who's a dumb dipshit asshole. <laughs> Right, the, I think I think
0: that and the abusive uh, gym coach is like the uh, yes, it's That's... like the uh, uh, cl- uh, what not the cliches but like the tropes of these 1980s movies.
1: Yes, we had to have the the asshole gym coach and the and the freaking deadbeat asshole dad. Right. All right. So we also established that Rick is dating Christian. So somehow during uh, Nightmare on Shoot Three to now, Christian has got herself a boyfriend. And we meet some of the other characters, too. So they all arrive at school. And this is where we meet some more characters. So we have Christian. We have Rick. We have Allison. And then we see a car drive up. And they're all talking about, oh, this, this hunk of a man. This freaking star football athlete guy. This guy named Dan walks in. and Dan. Dan, yes. Dan. What a, What a... <laughs> Our boy Dan, okay? <laughs> this fucking guy. Oh, and d- during this time, too, we also meet a char- character who was, has to be the um, 80s groupie during this time, uh, Deb. And she was the one pumping up, like, to Allison of how hot this Dan guy was, which is really weird because this Deb girl, she looked like she would like, she would, she, sh- she seemed like she would like our boy uh like, metallic or something. She seemed like she would like all these hairband guys, but nope. Well, I, like...
0: well I was going to say, Deb looks like she should be in a White Snake video. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she looks exactly like the girl that's, that was in the White Snake video, uh, Ta- Tawny Kytan or whatever. She looks exactly like that.
1: Yeah. So, it was like, and then Dan comes in. And he looks like some normal 80s jock dude. So, this is very interesting. Uh, this is also, too, when Deb meets up with Sheila. So, Sheila is our nerdy... Uh, school. Uh, black girl. All right. So this character was really weird too. So we'll talk about some more. But these characters, I I feel like in this movie they didn't really have like a lot of time to like we we didn't get a lot of time to get to know them. Like they they gave us some stuff to kind of get to know them, but like I didn't really have like an investment in a lot of these characters. So no, no, not at all. So Deb and Sheila are talking about um some like book. Uh. Destiny and I barely it's a book, but uh, Sheila told her to get a VHS about it. I don't know, what yeah, because she,
0: she she because Sheila is this the smart one,
1: yes. Um, and then we actually have one of my favorite 80s lines. <laughs> I don't know if you caught this. So, uh, Sheila and Deb were talking, and then Sheila, she's an asthmatic girl, so she starts like doing with her, um, her asthmatic, um, what do you call those things? Uh, Like an inhaler, yeah, inhaler. Yeah, I bet. We had this. We had this dude be like, "Hey, baby, you're sucking on the wrong nozzle." (laughs) I'm not joking. I rewound that shit like three times to make sure I got that right. I was like, "Holy shit!" This my. What did you say? (laughs) Just fucking randomly. I was like, "Damn!" I was like, "Listen." Like some of those, some of those lines, like I can't help it not, to, not to do them. like, they're just like fucking fantastic. I would totally <laughs> use that line. Okay. Don't, don't tell me you wouldn't either. That's a fucking great line. And then Deb says something about penis envy. It wasn't as good, but I was like, that's the line of the movie. All right. Right there. All right. So at first I thought we were starting this shit off like hot. I was like, okay, we got this shit going. I see how it is. So during this, uh, uh, um, Christian she's in the locker room. We meet up with the uh, Joey and we meet up with the uh, Kincaid again. And then they're, they're like, same same spiel, like, "Hey, why did you fucking drive us into your drag us into your dream?" Uh, Freddie's not real, and she's like, "No, he's coming back. I swear, he's coming back." And they're just kind of blowing it off. And then Rick trying to uh, mark his territory uh, comes up to um, Christian and the Joey and KK kind of back off a little bit. So at first I thought there was going to be some like drama between like Joey and Rick trying to get this girl's attention. But we found out that that went nowhere. Right. Yes. They also were talking about like, if Freddy's not coming back, why did your dog bite me and stuff? And then KK was just like, yeah, he just does that sometimes.
0: He just does that sometimes. Yes.
1: Alright, so during this time, um, we get a little bit more relationship with Nick and his dad. This is when we kind of find out, like, the dad's kind of a dick. and Because uh, uh, we find out later that the mom died um, with Nick and Alice. And then the dad hasn't been the same since then. Alright? So, also during this time, too, we find out that um, Alice, and she can have daydreams. All right, so we kind of see that she automatically has some power. So her her power is that she can daydream. I mean, well, fuck. I mean, who? That's a apparently that's her power. She can daydream. She can control her dreams, basically. Um, Alice, have you ever met anybody that can control their dreams?
0: I have. I have not. Okay. Um, um, but yeah. So that that that's when we find out Alice can control her dreams. Yes. Because it's not that she necessarily that she can daydream, but she yeah, she can control her dreams. Yes.
1: Yes. So um so during this we she she has like two things. She daydreams about Dan talking to her and she daydreams about killing her dad, which is like okay, fuck. There's <laughs> some, little, some little crazy dreams there too. So after this we get Kincaid, and a little easter egg his dog was actually named Jason, which I thought that was pretty clever. Um so this is when we get um Kincaid dreaming and he is entered into the car junk lot from the first movie and he's walking around with his dog his dog is Jason dog dog's name Jason is rocking around the scene with him and apparently we had to figure out how is Freddie gonna get resurrected Allison do you know how Freddie will get resurrected in 1988 by, by a dog. Unfortunately,
0: but uh, you go ahead and fill me in.
1: <laughs> by a dog pissing fire on his grave. Yes. Yes.
0: So that was the. Uh, yeah. Of all things they could have thought of, that's that's what they came up with for this. Yes. That's how. That's how Freddy came back because the dog pissed fire on his grave.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just some and evil duck. hellion dog. I mean, his name is Jason for crying on that. what did he expect? All right.
0: Yes. <laughs> So, anyway, so we're only, what, like 15 minutes into this movie? Yeah. At this
1: point? <laughs> <laughs> so we're also into it. So this part <laughs> this wasn't... all we got so far. <laughs> yes. So this this part, was actually, so there were some cool parts about the scene. Uh, obviously, uh, Kincaid's in the drunk yard. He's always good with one-liners. I always like this character. He's, you know, kind of like that really good character with one-liners. Um, we have a bunch of exploding cars everywhere. Uh, we got Freddy... Um, Getting, like, his bones are getting back together. His skin's getting back together. He's coming out of the ground. Fire everywhere. Um, Then we have a good old fight scene between the two of them. Kincaid gets the upper hand by, like, just pushing a fucking car on this guy. (laughs) Um, uh, And then, like, you know, fire everywhere and stuff. Um, And then we get a lot of references to, like, Dreamland going on at this time as well, too. Um, And then eventually, Freddy gets the upper hand on Kincaid. Um, rips his claw up his stomach, and then Kincaid's all, "See you in the hell," and then he's like, "Who do you think made hell?" So we're getting Freddie and we're getting his one-liners during this time as that, well.
0: That was a good one-liner. That was pretty good.
1: Yes, and then we, during this time we see Christian waking up. She's looking a little nervous. So, um, <laughs> so Joey. Uh, now we get Joey. Alright, and of course, what is he watching? He's watching a couple of MTV, of course, during this time. So Joey is like a low-key, uh, one of my favorite characters. Because this guy represents every teenage boy that would probably be almost in existence. You know, freaking, probably likes to party, like to skateboard. He has a freaking hot woman poster in his room. You know what I mean? Listen to some metal. Alright, maybe he's listening to that new Metallica song that came out. And he has a waterbed. Allison, have you ever had a waterbed?
0: I have not had a waterbed. So, I've not, had not a waterbed
1: before. And they wow. are kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Um, they they could be good because, you know, you get a little relaxing on there and stuff. But they are a little creepy. And I really liked how they used the waterbed for a death scene during this time.
0: That was really cool. But what but, was the uh, benefit of the waterbed? Like, why, why would you have a waterbed?
1: So, let's see. Pretty sure it was to maybe help you relax better or something. I'm not really sure. I think it was just like the the fad of having a waterbed. Like I was about
0: to say that sounds like a nineteen eighties fad to me.
1: Like yeah, why, because why would you have a waterbed? I couldn't do it now. Like there's no way I could sleep in this waterbed now, constantly moving on the bed and stuff, you know. I mean they were kinda comfortable, but like I don't remember it being like that comfortable. And I actually kinda remember it being like a little more annoying than anything
0: uh, it seems like a lot could go horribly wrong with a water
1: bed it can because if you have a leak on there and everything yeah that like suck. what
0: if you accidentally like poke a hole in it in the middle of the night
1: yeah so well maybe we can ask Joey because he got more than poked a hole in it
0: oh yes so well we find out what happens
1: <laughs> yeah so anyway. Joey's the movie met- will
0: tell us what happens if you poke a hole in a water
1: <laughs> so Joey <laughs> his power is he has web dreams okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> basically yes, that that is basically
1: his So, so his we've dream- gone we've gone
0: way downhill from the Dream Warriors. So you so know was super straight yeah. moved on to uh, and then the guy with the wizard powers to uh, to
1: uh, um, Joey and his wet dreams. Yes, Joey and his wet dreams. Yes. So Joey is now uh, he he dreamed to his existence the uh, blonde hair uh, hot girl underneath his water bed. So he sees her. He's like, fuck. Well, first of all, I'd be kind of freaked out like this. I was like, what? I really do need this existence? Am I killing her by having her in my waterbed? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> so next thing I know is he's there. He's all ready to go. He's trying to get this girl out of the bed. Next thing we know, yeah. boom. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, because this seems perfectly normal, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, like, like there's a there's a there's a nude girl inside your waterbed. And, and the first thing you think of is how can I get her out uh, to, to have sex with her?
1: Yes. So he comes anyway. up, he comes up, boom, slashes it, comes out there, grabs him down there, eventually kills him, and he says, "How about this for a red dream?"
0: <laughs> but that was a pretty good effect, though. Like the girl like originally when I first saw it, I thought that, okay, well, she's just under like, you know glass or something. Yes, you know, and it's just like a, like he's just standing in front of a glass like uh, tank but it's, but he can actually move the waterbed so it actually was pretty amazing how they did that cuz he could actually move the plastic with his fingers the yeah. actor could but you could still see through it enough to see her so which what i think was would have been really hard to make, to do a, in a, a film like i'm not like i'm not a filmmaking expert or yeah. a filmmaker at all but i i don't know how i would how i would do that and still make it look like look good
1: so when i was watching that documentary they kind of explained this scene a little bit where they right. actually built like a hot, there was a hot tub and they built like a whole room around it. And that's how they made the effect with the, uh, with the, the water tub underneath it. And during this scene too, like they had to do it so many times cause it was really hard for them to get it that everybody was getting pissed off. So, cause you could this, this they I barely did do like a bunch of shots to get this scene right. But I thought it was a really cool effect. Like this is like one of the, like the coolest effects that they did in, in the franchise so far.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and another one where the actors could have drowned if they'd fucked it up.
1: Yes. So during this term, um we get Allison. Um this is just when we get more of um Allison and Nick. We're kind of building these characters. This is when they get, you know, they talk about their mom passing away, the reason for the dad being a dick. Um and then this is when Nick was showing her a little bit of his karate skills going on this time. This is when we figure out that Nick is like some sort of karate dude. Um Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
0: I'm just I'm remembering this scene now where he's like putting on his headband yeah with the Japanese uh, rising sun on it yes and the uh, and getting his nunchucks yeah
1: so also too, when Joey was getting pulled underwater he kept everybody keeps calling out for Christian the reason that they're calling out for Christian is because her power is she can bring people back to the, the real world she can like pull people out of dreams so, obviously, she wasn't listening too hard because both of them cried out for her and she didn't come. So, this is also, too, when we get Joey's mom, finds out that he's dead. This is when we get Christian. She's outside smoking. Um, she's Now, Christian, is, uh, she comes up to Allison's house now, and she's starting to freak out because she knows that Freddie has um, killed Joey and has killed um, Kincaid, and she is trying to now um ask allison um like some, for some help and stuff, and this is when allison she she brings in the whole dream master of how her mother talked to her um taught her how to be a dream master so yes, so we also like it's also weird like little later on too we actually get some education of what the fuck a dream master is, and I think it's a real thing so.
0: Uh, yeah okay well we'll get to that but yeah. you can explain to me a little later how you think it's a real thing but yeah let's, let's continue
1: <laughs> it might be a real thing we see <laughs> <laughs> All right, you never know um so this is also too and um so we get a little bit of uh uh christian and alicia they're they're so th- this is when um christian she passed out a little bit and this is when we get the whole she figured out that, that Freddie is back. And if she goes to sleep and stuff, um, she will get attacked by Freddie. Because Freddie, now that he's taken two souls, he is now, like, going. He's, like, he's like back in action right now. And this is when we get Christian and the mom. So, obviously, the relationship in the the first, uh, the, the number three was a little bit hectic. And this is when we get more hectic of their relationship, where... The mom, like I, I don't. I guess the mom didn't realize or just wasn't believing anything that Christian was saying of her, like defeating Freddie or anything like that. So still, still, still. still even though she was one of the people who burned Freddie and stuff. Apparently and, so. Apparently so. So, so yeah. yeah,
0: this part is the start. The part that's starting to fall apart for me. Yeah. Uh, like 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 it would take this for this to fall apart, but, <clears throat> but yeah. So, I can understand in the dream warriors. Like, she, like she's still just like John Saxon from the first movie. She doesn't want to admit that we killed Freddie. Freddie's not coming back. But at this point, at this point, like you, you would, you would think that she would maybe think that something, something is going on.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely a little weird. Uh, also a little bit before this, this is also too, when we get, we get Christian, Allison, Rick and Dan, they all meet at the diner. So Allison works at this diner. That this diner looked exactly like the diner from um, Back to the Future too. <laughs> I would be surprised if it was. So this um, is. I don't
0: really remember that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not the same set.
1: It, it looked pretty familiar to me, like you know when they're in like that future scene where we had like the young buff and everything. Yeah. It, it looked pretty similar to me. So this is when uh, Christian she's trying to explain to Rick, Allison, and Dan about Freddie and what she's going through right now. Uh, of course, these kids don't really believe it because they haven't seen Freddy. They they think he's a little crazy, um, and this is when we get um, Rick. He's uh, Rick at first is like you know he hears about Freddy all the time from from Christian, um, but you know he's not super believing it. Uh, during this time as well, too. Okay, so during this time... So they're at, they're at the Freddy house and stuff. And then this is when we get... We always get on the Freddy stories, we always get a little bit of the backstory. So this is when they're doing their whole backstory and everything. And they're all about to enter the house. And then some like crazy lady screams at Christian, which I'm pretty sure is mom, her mom. And then Christian just leaves. And they all kind of talk about, like, is this Freddy guy really happening? Or is this, like, is she just crazy? And this is when we get, you know, the mom puts the sleeping pill in... Christian drink. Yes. This is was crazy because like she was all like drinking the drink and she realized like, oh shit, I just drank this thing with a sleeping pill in it. And she was like, fucking mom, you killed me. It was your yeah. fucking fault that you fucking burned this motherfucker in the first place. Well, and then you
0: know? and, and then her mom says, Kristen, we talked about this in therapy. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we talked about it in therapy. There we go.
0: And then uh, she's... uh
1: yeah, she tries to yeah, call so, Allison. So she yeah, wants to call she's like
0: Mom, You just killed me. Yes.
1: Yeah, so Even though
0: she has control over her dreams and she can bring herself inside and out like so this is this doesn't make any sense. Yes. So so okay, so Kristen can go her power is that she can bring people into the dream and out of the dream. Yes. So why doesn't she just bring herself out of the dream every single time?
1: Well, maybe if she got drugged with some sleeping pills, I guess maybe it did the opposite effect where she couldn't do that or something. I don't uh, know. maybe, but
0: I don't think that's that's not mentioned anywhere. I don't think that's canon to the Nightmare on Home Street series. It doesn't yeah. mention that. But like it, like her power, like her power made sense in episode three because we like she can bring other people into the dream. But she, but but why does she just come out of the dream every single time? You know, and then as we find out a little bit later, they have a dream master. Yes. Um, But, uh, well, I guess we haven't developed that yet. So the dream master doesn't know about about their power yet.
1: Yes. So during this, when Christian wakes up, she thinks she's in her own dream because she's on a beach. She's doing a little tanning and there's a little girl over there and she introduced herself to the girl and the girl, little girl's name is Alice. So we're already seeing that somehow Christian has brought Alice into her dream. And, of course, yes. we get the Shark Freddy during this time. which yes, I, which I, thought, I was,
0: thought was amazing.
1: Yes. <laughs> I thought that was... Pre- so there's actually a, um, an extended scene of this um, that if you watch like the Nightmare on Elm Street 4 trailer, it's like a longer version of this scene where there's a little bit more First. talking parts to it. It's actually pretty interesting. Um, and Freddie has a pretty good like, one-liners on it as well, too. But during this, she realized, like, oh, shit, Freddie's here. And then eventually Freddie um, grabs and pushes Christian down into the sand. And then they go into the uh, boiler room. And this is when she realized, like, oh, shit, now i got a fight. I'm the only one left. And she's like the last Elm Street kid left alive. And this is also, too, when she pulls Alice into her dream. So... I think she might have done it... Did she do it by accident? Or I couldn't really tell. Like, she she was just like... Alice just appears into the dream.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure. I wasn't really clear on that that aspect of the story, about whether that was on purpose or not. Yeah, so
1: I'm guessing... um, Because I'm trying to break it down a little bit. I'm guessing that when she called Alice, that was the trigger point of bringing Alice into her dream. Because when she brought Alice into her dream, Freddie's like, oh, good. Fresh meat. So now Freddie has attached... Him, his spiritual nightmares, uh, juice or something, on to Alice now. And we have a big, a little bit of a struggle going on. So, this Alice, I mean, this Christian, she doesn't have like any of the powers she had in the fucking third movie. Remember, she did like some like gymnastic shit going on over here, did some luchador moves and shit. No, not this time. She just, he just grabs the fucking girl and throws her into the fucking fire.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yep.
0: Hey, yes, he just threw her, he just threw her into the boiler.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. The, and uh, for, yep. the, yeah. yeah.
0: Which is full of apparently water that's on fire. But yes.
1: anyway. <laughs> it's a fucking random water on fire. Um. So then during this time, um, when Christian is thrown into the boiler room water of fire, she is all burnt up now and she releases the her soul to Freddy. But then Alice got her power. So we got, like, Freddy captured her soul, but Alice has captured her power of, I guess, bringing people back from dreams or something.
0: Right. So now we have more lore. So
1: um,
0: we find out that Freddy gets stronger by stealing their souls, and Alice may be getting stronger by taking their powers after Freddy kills them.
1: Yes. And this is also too when we get Shetty, he shows off his chest. We see all the kit, all the all the souls that he has in his chest and everything. And he's just getting more powerful. And then during yes. this, um, Alice wakes up. She sees a Freddy, uh, a photo of her, and, her and Freddy. And then we have now established that now uh, Alice is now our main character because all three of the original characters from Dream Warriors are now they're not warriors anymore. They're dead. They're all gone.
0: Yep. So we've killed everyone. So okay. So let's 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 uh, this is going to be a little bit longer of an episode than we normally do, yes. probably because so let's let's take this in for a minute. So now we had Wes Craven come back for the Dream Warriors, so not for Nightmare Three, yes, right, and he saved it. Even though Nightmare Two was better than we thought, he saved it by introducing this Dream Warriors concept, which was pretty cool, where they all had these powers that they were going to fight the evil Freddy, and then. So we're probably maybe 30 minutes into this movie at this point. Yes. And now we've killed all of the Dream Warriors.
1: Yes. Already. All <laughs> right. All the Dream Warriors are dead. So this remind me of a um, WWE Raw booking, okay? So <laughs> we do a little bit of – we have a couple weeks of solid storytelling, and the next thing we know, oh, fuck it, we're done. We're just moving on to new people. Yep. So –
0: yeah, we have uh, we have our established star job to uh, gender mall.
1: Yes, you. Can. So it it is kind of it is it is like a, a little weird, like how it kind of like transitioned to because I thought they can build upon like and then also too where the fuck was Nancy like she was just well, like she died. Gone. Oh yeah, that's right. She went on. Yeah, that's right. She died at the end. I forgot about that. I mean, she'll probably come back too, but uh, maybe but, we shall we shall see. Yes. Well, I'm surprised that, you know, the Nancy character didn't, like, be able to, like, do what Freddy did and, like, conquer dreams or something. But, anyway, yeah, it's just kind of weird how they killed off, like, we built all these stars in number three to, like, pretty strong characters, and now we just fucking kill them all off, and we got this whole new cast. Here, here, everybody, like whole, all your people. Right,
0: right, right, we have a whole new cast that we have to teach people about again.
1: And they didn't even fucking build half his new cast, but we'll get into it, died. So, like, what the fuck was the point? Well, so,
0: they all died. <laughs>
1: spoilers but yeah so this is when um this is uh so i starts freaking out a little bit uh rick shows up um then this is when they figured out like oh crap they all have like Alice is like hey we have to go right now to christian's place she is in trouble like rick come with me they all rush to christian's house fucking her room is on fire she's burning everywhere the mom freaks out everybody all freaks out and uh we get the we get the funeral scene for um christian so, this is yep. also, too, during this time, we're getting more of the building relationship. Alice, you know, watching some old footage that she had with Christian. Um, also, too, we get Rick over there, too. They're remorsing over the death of, of, of their friend.
0: Of Christian, yeah. Yes.
1: So, this is also, too, when um, Alice is, like, trying to bring up, like, Freddy is the one who killed uh, Christian and Then of course Rick at this time Is still not a believer he's just like stop telling me All those crazy Freddy stories it drove her crazy Insane and I was gonna do the same Thing to you but she's like no it, it's real Like I saw it in my dreams and everything Okay so This is also too when we get um, We're back in the school and Alice Meets with the Shelly character And she She just gives him like gives her like some weird Device it kind of looked like the uh, the Blaster from Ghostbusters <laughs>
0: You mean who you mean Sheila? Sheila, my bad. Yeah, Sheila. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. So this this is a funny it's funny 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 thing about this. I don't I didn't remember this at all. Yeah. So I must have walked out of the room or something. I must have got bored and walked out of the room because <laughs> I didn't remember this at all. Yeah. And then um and then I was trying to remember like or figure out what, what this thing is that it looks like uh it looks like a cross between the Ghostbusters thing and a lightsaber.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we'll. See, it comes to play later on, but it was such like a non scene. <laughs> like, like if you blinked, you fucking missed the thing.
0: Right. Well, I like, first. Take I did first, this thing. Yeah.
1: Here. Here's this thing for for this class that I'm in. Okay. <clears throat> and then we're seeing that now. Um, Alice has some traits because she smokes now, and of course, Christian was the one that smoked. So we're in right. the school. Uh, this is when we this is when we get the teacher talking about the, uh, the, okay. So happily, the teacher is now talking about dreams. Just so happily to be happening right after all this stuff is happening, the teacher is now talking about dreamland and what a, a dream master is and all this crap. And I was like, okay, yep. just so happened to be talking about it. <laughs> um, so during this, like, um, Christian, she go. I mean, Alice, she starts tipping off and going to sleep a little bit, and then show does Sheila. And then when Sheila goes to sleep, we get the, this is, they're all doing like a, like a test too, like a math test going on during this. And a big giant robot hand attacks Sheila. Which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. And it's just, it's always grabbing her and everything. And then next thing we know, the, the teacher turns into Freddy, which I thought was a pretty cool scene as well too. And then he comes up to Sheila and says, "Do you want to suck face?" She's no, and then of course he gives her a good old smooch and then sucks her whole body out. So I thought that scene was pretty cool. But it yeah, definitely Yeah, it
0: was a really cool effect. With the little Freddy robot hand it was awesome.
1: Yeah. And and then, you know, so the the Sheila character, not 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 I'm not really sure what her powers were or anything like that, but I guess her main plot was to give uh Christian this little device. So not a whole lot of character to building uh, building with her, but you know we gotta we gotta see what happens.
0: Yeah, she was just the um, the tinker. She was the one that could build the. I, I think she was supposed to be the character that could build the weapons to fight Freddy, but they just didn't really do much with her. It makes me think there was a lot cut out of the script.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Or like very. I well, when I was watching they apparently like, even, like, two weeks before the movie is about to come on air, they were still filming stuff. So, they were definitely very, very tight uh, during during this filming. Um, so, this is also, too, when Alice, she's freaking out. Now she's realizing, oh, shit, Freddy's with me, and every time I go to sleep, if I'm, like, around one of my friends, I bring him into my dream, and they're gonna get killed by Freddy. Because Freddy is now using her as a portal to get kids that are not on Elm Street he can get new fresh meat now and his way of doing that is through Alice. Um, this is when Alice passes yeah. out. We get more Freddy scenes with her in the nurse outfit which I thought was pretty funny.
0: I don't know if we've mentioned Alice works at the diner. She's a waitress at the diner. Uh, she works at the diner as a waitress, right? Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, we mentioned yeah. all that with her, um, I guess, after school job over there at the diner. All right. Alice is at the diner and, sh- and then we have Dan come up. And Dan is first, like, trying to be all smooth. Hey, can I get a piece of gum? What a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, then he's like, oh, it's you, Alice. I'm like, what a creeper. He's like, hey, hey, it's you, Alice. I haven't seen you in a while. And then Alice is kind of trying to explain to him that she hasn't been sleeping well and she's trying to not be around friends because she doesn't want Freddy to attack the friends. And then she goes on displaying that uh, Christian was the last of the Elm tree kids and now Freddy can get into the new kids because he is using my body and my dream power to attack all these um, kids and then we get Dan Dan and Rick they're in the locker room we're talking more about how Christian is going a little I mean how Alice is going to a little bit more insane and Rick is starting to believe that this idea of Freddy um, attacking people in their dreams and killing them is coming to true because he said we're all dropping like flies over here Huh? Yeah. So this is when Alice starts to fall asleep again This is actually when we get the teacher Talking about the Dream Master stuff We just so happen to be talking about The Dream Master stuff Um, And this is when Rick, he's taking a shit (laughs) And a bunch of cheerleaders come in With um, Alice right behind him Which is kind of weird And this is when we get a little bit of them Attacking uh, Freddy So this is actually when we get Rick is now into the dream And he goes into a this scene uh, was kind of, I didn't really like this one. This is the scene where Rick is fighting Freddy in like this like Japanese like house. He's in
0: the dojo. The, yeah. He's in a dojo. He's like in
1: a dojo yeah. and he looks like the fucking karate kid and he starts getting his ass whipped by like imaginary Freddy.
0: But, yeah. Freddy's
1: invisible. Yeah. And he gets the upper hand for a little bit, knocks off Freddy's glove, and says, "Hey, Freddy, how are you gonna kill me with no glove?" And of course, the glove flies in and fucking kills his ass. And I was like, "Well, there, there goes that guy." (laughs) Yep. Another one bites the fucking. How many characters
0: do we have that are still alive?
1: So all we have is Alice, the main girl now. All we have is Dan and Debbie. Oh,
0: Dan, Dan's still alive. Yes,
1: Dan. Yes, our boy Dan is still alive. You know, we got to have him rocking out. Um. So this is... Uh, Alice wakes up again... Freaks out... And now we have a funeral for Rick... And... This is also too... When the dad is actually... You know... He just had... One of his kids die... So he... Um, he, he... He's obviously upset... So during this time... Like I said... We have three characters less. We have Alice... We have Debbie... And we have Dan... And yes. they... Need to come up with a plan to stop Freddy. So, so their plan is to meet um, all together later that night at Debbie's house. And we have Alice, uh, Dan's going to pick up Alice because now Dan likes Alice. And they're going to drive over to Debbie's house and they're going to come up with the plan to defeat Freddy. Alright? Yes. So, Which,
0: uh, their plans, these characters' plans to defeat Freddy are always so successful.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. So during this time, too, um, when, um, so I think their plan is to, to have, um, Alice sleep. This is always everybody's plan in Nightmare on the Street to have the person sleep and have two bodyguards because Alice has now taken all the traits from the people who've died. So think, yeah. she thinks she's strong enough right now to defeat Freddy because she realizes now that I've gotten Rick's power of being an ultimate ninja somehow. Now I'm not sure how. Maybe Rick is a black belt we didn't know about or something, but he just looked like a dude that was like practicing in his garage. So apparently, from that, she is now a master artist, master karate artist now. Yep. So during this stuff, this, she's about to leave to go meet up with Dan at the diner. And the dad stops her, saying, like, I don't want you to go out there. You know, you're the last one I have left. Just stay home. Please don't go out there. Because I guess during this time, the dad's probably just thinking, like, everybody's committing suicide in this fucking crazy town. Um, so during this, too, we have Dan waiting outside the diner, waiting on um, Alice to get there. And this is also, too, when um, Alice starts to drip off a little bit, drip off into sleeping. And when she does, she meets up with Freddie. So this is also too when she's walking around and she is going into the movies and she's seeing um uh like the uh, like a movie going on this time, gets her seats down and starts watching this old type of movie and then she's
0: watching she's watching Reefer Madness.
1: <laughs> Reefer Oh for real? <laughs> yeah.
0: She's she's I'm pretty yeah, she's watching Reefer because that's what you would go see you know, a nineteen twenties or thirties, whatever uh, propaganda film against, yeah. Uh, you know, weed, and uh, that's what you because that's what you'd go see. Yes, exactly. But anyway, anyway, continue. Oh.
1: Have you ever seen that movie, by the way? Reformatic, yeah.
0: yeah. Fucking great. I'm like,
1: <laughs> 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 I fucking <laughs> love that movie. It was fucking crazy. So uh, this one was called "All the Dead Kids Clap." All mm-hmm. right. So she's uh, now like they're getting all. Basically, during this scene, the scene, the screen starts to suck her in, and she eventually gets all sucked into the movie. And through the she she's now in like this very old time where Freddie's house is, and we see all the dead clips. They're all clapping for her. Uh, so, this is also too when she goes into the, the diner at the time. This diner is all messed up, it's all broken down. She sits down, she sees an older version of herself trying to serve her, and she eventually gets a pizza and freddy comes up um to her so so freddy shows her the pizza and this is when we get that pizza scene of all the souls are now in the pizza and freddy grabs the rick sausage and eats the rick sausage yep and this is where kind of gross yes kind of gross yes so this scene is a pretty cool-looking scene, though. Like, I I kind of like how they did that. And I remember, this is, like, the, the only scene I remember from this movie is the actual pizza scene that we got right here. So I thought it was pretty, you know, pretty creative, but a little bit, like, you know, a little corny. But I thought it was pretty creative type of scene. And then this is when we see the portal um, of Deb. Um, and then Freddy goes into Deb's uh, dream now. And then Alice is like, oh, shit. You know, so she's trying to wake herself up so she can go help out her friend. And this is when Freddie's basically laughs and says, um, I got their souls and you got their power.
0: Yes. So now now that's where we finally established that Alice is absorbing their powers yep. and becoming, and becoming uh, the Dream Master. Because we only have like two characters left. So <laughs> it's either going to be Debbie or it's going to be Alice. Yes. And if you've watched this movie at all, you know it's not going to be Debbie.
1: Yes, exactly, and then right before he goes, he says, "Your shift is over," and he jumps into Debbie's dream. So this is when we get Alice. She finally escapes from her room, and then she goes and meets up with Dan. Dan's even like, "Hey, where you been?" <laughs> and then they run. It's like we got to get to Debbie's house now. And then during this, we actually see a cool little effect where Christian's trying to—I mean, Alice is trying to get to uh, Debbie's house, but she keeps repeating herself over and over again during this time. And this is when we get the Deb. She's working out, you know, because we, we established that she's kind of like this rocker chick who works out and everything. And then we get the scene of Freddie holding up the barbell. And he eventually snaps the barbell on her, freaking her arms pop out and everything. And this is when we get Deb turning into a cockroach style yep. scene, which I thought was pretty yep. cool effect with this one.
0: Uh, yeah, because she's afraid of bugs. So that's why she becomes a cockroach. Yes. Like they established earlier that she, she's afraid of bugs. So so Freddy turns her into a cockroach.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, turns yeah. her into a cockroach and puts her into the roach motel, which is a uh, roach trap. And this is when we get some of those 80s effects going on here. So we get a lot of ooze, we get a lot of goos. Um, we get some weird transformation of her into a bug. And then Vin- R- Freddy eventually squashes it. And we get move on from that scene. So I thought that scene was pretty cool. Um, when it comes to the effects that they did on this, so this movie is definitely known for like having some pretty cool, like I'd say, effects and stuff. When it comes to some of the the death scenes, were pretty creative. Um, it's just the overall story was a little lackluster lack, for me.
0: Yeah, which we can talk about that, you know, when we get toward the end of it. And, and but yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell this had more money than any of the ones they've they've done so
1: far. Exactly. So during this, uh, Dan realizes like, hey, we keep doing this thing over and over again and um they eventually realize that they're stuck in a dream right now. So Yeah, they're
0: stuck in like a ti- like a time loop thing, like in Groundhog Day, where they're doing the same scene of or the same like moment of her running out of the diner over and over and over again. So they can never get to where Debbie is.
1: Yes. So eventually they see um Freddy and they try to run him over, but then they just crash right into a pole.
0: Yeah, so well, of course we're in a dream, but so they hit Freddy with the truck, right? Mm-hmm. And it, the truck looks like it folds up like an accordion. Yes. But in the next scene, they're all just sitting in the and uh, like they're sitting in the cab of the truck, and are and are like, "Hey Dan, are you okay?" Like there would be, <laughs> I don't think there would be anything left of human beings after that kind of crash.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then like uh, she just wakes up fine, like no problem, like oh yeah, I'm here, I'm fine. Dan, are you okay? And then they um, they basically had to rush Dan to the hospital during this time. And the big thing is Alice is just trying to stay them or putting any kind of anesthesia on him for him to go to sleep.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna. Well, which, <laughs> but it, yeah, okay. This gets a little funnier as it goes. Yeah. But yeah, continue on. So Dan, Dan, uh, she. So they're in the uh, they're in the ambulance, and he's gonna put Dan to sleep, right? So he's not yeah. in as much pain. And then she's like, "No, you're not gonna do that." And she slaps the needle out of the guy's hand. Yeah. And then he's and he's like, "What? The, he's like, what the fuck are you doing?" And she's like, "He's allergic to that." Yeah. He's not, not that she even knows what it is. And yeah. Then exactly. The paramedic's like, "Okay, well, why didn't you tell me that?" Yeah. Exactly. Why like, didn't you tell me? She doesn't know what's in this thing, but he, she's, <laughs> but, he, but she knows he's allergic to it.
1: Exactly. We got our star quarterback Dan over here about to die. Right. And you're freaking, He's allergic. So, this is a weird scene too. So. Eventually, when Dan gets to the hospital, like they, she can't go to the hospital with him. They're gonna bring him into immediate surgery, and she's like, "Oh shit! If he goes to sleep, this motherfucker's dead." And then she rushes like past like Dan's parents. She rushes past her own dad, and she goes back home. And then she fucking montage shoots up into some fucking her gear, and this was so like. <laughs> What do you do if you're a dream master? You're going to have a leather jacket. You're going to have a karate tie on you. You're going to have some freaking acid wash jeans. And you're ready to fight Freddie.
0: Well, this kind of made sense, though. Because if you think about it, she's like a combination of like all of them now. Yeah. You know, she's, she's dressed like Deb. And she has the, the little uh, karate bandana wrapped around her hand. And she puts the nunchucks in her back pocket. So, um, but then we have Dan at the hospital, right? Yes. Like he's about to have surgery and then she tells him to not let them put him to sleep for surgery.
1: Yeah, but they're gonna do it anyway because they but, put the gas on him.
0: Because that's what you do when you do surgery. You put you put people to sleep or they die.
1: Yes. So um,
0: but it, it so this is the point when all of these movies that I always have a problem. So now I can't tell if they're in a dream or not. Like sometimes it seems like they are but it also sometimes seems like they're in the real world, like the hospital seems like it's a real world, and the ambulance seemed like it was the real world. But they seem to go in and out of the dream all the time.
1: Yes, uh, I mean, yeah, it's true. Like some, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. Like when they actually like go into the dream world, unless they actually see them do it. So right, like
0: it just wasn't very thought out. Even back as far as the first movie goes, like it's it's just not super thought out. Of like, there's no like. Um, there's no line for when they cross into the dream world. They seem to go back and forth all the time in like from moment to moment. And it's, it's kind of confusing, but anyway, we've learned to live with it at this point.
1: Yes. So, Alice, <clears throat> excuse me, Alice takes her sleeping pills. I wonder if the same sleeping pills that Nancy had, but we didn't get that. So she oh, takes it. So, yeah. So she takes them. Um, This is when Dan got to sleep and Freddy's there waking him up about to get our boy Dan. And then Alice realizes it and she busts through her window into Dan's dream, into the hospital. And she starts to fight Freddy. Freddy uh, spins like this wheel gimmick and they both fall into a old church. And then in this old church, Dan said it's too late and he starts bleeding out. So I guess our Dan character... Guess the surgery didn't work or something or something happened. Right, and, because and, they <laughs>
0: didn't put any anesthesia on him. That's yes, why
1: he died. Exactly. So he is out of there. And this is when we get the Alice fight scenes with with Freddie. So she's doing a little bit of karate on him. She's doing a little power struggle with them. She uses her Ghostbuster lightsaber on him as well. <laughs> yeah, her Ghostbusters lightsaber, yeah. And this shit didn't do anything. Like it just zapped Freddie and it's just like fucking nothing.
0: Yeah, so so which makes you think? Why did we have this? Why was this? Uh, why was this gimmick even in this this movie? Like it has no effect on it whatsoever. It just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, it's just there to maybe sell some toys. I have no idea. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> the Navajo Street Four toys. Yes, yes. we gotta I we got that toy line. It was so, <laughs> so huge.
1: So Freddie is basically saying this when he gets just blow he just blasts out that ray like it was nothing. He says, I am internal. We hear some of the kids singing during this time as well. And then what what can beat this ultimate nightmare, Freddie? What can beat the internal Freddy? What do you say the, Allison will beat him? Whoa, well, it's very simple. It's a mirror. A mirror will beat yeah. Freddie.
0: <laughs> Which we've we've we have we we kind of glossed over that, but that was like they were kind of uh sort of um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were kind of hinting toward that at, from the beginning because remember, uh, she, Alice had her mirror covered up with with pictures and you yeah. couldn't see anything in it. And then she was like, "What's the point of having a mirror? You can't see yourself." She's like, "That's the whole point. I don't want to see myself or whatever." Yeah. And then as she becomes the Dream Master, she starts taking off the pictures of her friends, um, and then she can see herself as the Dream Dream Master finally. Anyway, the mirror. Yes, the, so we use the mirror to defeat Freddy.
1: Yes, so the, you can only defeat evil by evil looking at itself.
0: Of course, right, of course.
1: All right, that's, that's the moral of the story. There's a lot of morals in Dream Master. Okay. Yeah,
0: and then, and then the uh, souls revolt against Freddy after they see him in the mirror. So
1: I'm not so, sure about uh, you, Allison, or you out there in listening land, but this looked like some sort of soul orgy going on <laughs> on Freddy's body. Like, they look like they are having a good time getting himself out of there. Like, just, like, popping through him and everything. They're all just, like, having a good time. They're all, like, wrapping it up, like, some bonded shit going on here. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, That's where we are now. That's where we are, are. yeah. We're going there. We're going there. So, all the souls rip out of Freddie, And I like how they, like, they go by Allison. Hey, thanks. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) As they they, uh, pass through her. And this is well, about,
0: yeah. I mean, she saved, she brought, she she brought their souls to the afterlife or whatever. Exactly. It was still a weird scene, but I guess it makes sense.
1: Yes. And then she kicks Freddy's glove, and she says, "Rest in hell, Freddy!" While she kicks Freddy's glove, and then we actually get a nice little uh, scene at the end of uh, Dan and Alice talking by this like wishing well.
0: Right. So somehow Dan is not dead.
1: Yes, he's not dead. I guess like. I don't know, yeah, I'm not really sure I thought, it so, doesn't, It yeah. doesn't make any sense, does I mean,
0: he dies like he says, it's too late and he's bleeding out which makes you think that, okay, he died in the real world so now he's not in the dream anymore, but yeah. now he's still alive and they're on a date, like, nothing is wrong
1: Yes, and then he's all like, acting, hey, do you want to do this wishing thing she looks a little hesitant at first, and then she does it, and and then Dan asks, hey what did you wish for, and he's like, well If I told you it wouldn't come true, and then they just walk out into the sunset, and I was like, "Okay, well we don't get no desert, we don't get no like car, like this is this is like just naturally ended."
0: Yeah, she sees Freddie's reflection in the water, and then and then when he throws the coin in, and then she just kind of like ignores it, basically.
1: Yes. And so ends the Nightmare on Elm Street, the Dream Master movie. Yes. So before I do mine, do you have any overall thoughts of this movie?
0: <sighs> um, that's pretty much my overall thought. I just, I did not look, really like this at all. I, I, agree I, with I can you. see, I can see why they, I can see why my perception now of the nightmare movies later on were not, are not good. Um, and this is like, this could have been so good. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, It just it. But it just wasn't like I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with it. But like the people who worked on this, I mean, it's it's unbelievable when you think about it, because, I mean, it was directed by Rennie Harlan, Mm -hmm. who went on to, you know, make some really good movies. Um, He had made this movie um, maybe the year before, a couple of years before. Called Prison, yeah, prison. which if we can find it, maybe we should do that for the show later on. Yeah, awesome. uh, But that that's a really good movie, um, and he uh, and it was written by Brian Helgeland, who went on to win an Academy Award for *LA Confidential*, and he's been a nom- He wrote *Mystic River*, and he's been nominated for tons of academy awards of course this was one of the first things he ever did but still he was probably just trying to write something at this point um but you know you would think that this could have turned out better um apparently wes craven did make a pitch for this movie which was turned down Mm. uh, because it was quote unquote illogical
1: really um
0: (laughs) So I'm not really sure how much more illogical it would be than this shit that we just watched. But yeah,
1: anyway, I'm not sure either. <laughs> so my my feelings are very similar to yours. Like I feel like that if I was watching this movie and this is like it, I'd be kind of done with the Nightmare on Elm Street because like they didn't really, oh, just like the character building just wasn't there for me. Like I mean, we had pretty strong characters coming out of Dream War, and he just killed them all off. And then we just got these new characters, and the last one left was like this Dan guy and this Alice. we were, like weren't even that strong of characters to begin with. The Alice girl, like, she was an okay lead and stuff, but like, I don't know. Like compared to like Nancy or um or Christian from the other movies, I thought like even even Joey, I I didn't think she was that strong of a character. Um, through that, and I know she comes back in number five, and we'll be doing that one up next here on the Metro Blood. And yep. um, I know. I think number five is the one that I most remember watching as a kid, which is, I thought that was number three, but I think it might be number five. Um, which
0: which that'll be interesting because I don't know anything about number five. I don't remember number five at all. So when I go in to watch that, I'll yeah. be completely fresh.
1: And of course, you know, once we do number five, that'll be our, our ending of the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series. But that definitely should be pretty interesting because I know number five takes place with the Alice character. Or at least with the the same storyline that we're on right now, so that should be pretty interesting. We'll see if they can redeem themselves. I just, I just don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know if I would like be rushing to the box office for Nightmare on Elm Street Five after watching this hunking pile of shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's no. Yeah, I would not be looking forward to this at all. Yeah, but um, yeah,
1: but you know. Still has a I do, I do I do give him credit when it comes to some of the death scenes were pretty good, but the overall storyline wasn't doing it for me.
0: No. But who knows? Maybe it gets better.
1: Yeah, maybe it gets better. We'll see. But we will see next time here on the Retro Blood when we do Nightmare on Elm Street Five. Um so that should be pretty interesting. And everybody, check out Havenster of Thorough. Oh yeah fucking playing it right now on the retro blood and everybody be careful when you go into your dreams because you might end up being some sort of roach sausage meatball be careful out there everybody retro